Before I get started, the one thing I forgot to mention, um, we should be celebrating the Cordells actually with us at Chippenham. They moved. <laughs> yeah, you can ask them about uh, the craziness of the week. Uh, they have lots of stories to tell, but they're here, and it's kind of crazy that they're here in Chippenham and then had to drive to Yetton Kennel, but hey, that's just the way, the way it is. Um, I, I'm really excited to be up here and just to get a chance to share with you what I've been wrestling with with God from the scriptures, and, um, and I hope it's just going to be, one, beneficial for you as an individual, but us as a community, and really what we're going to be doing is... Uh, the, this week and next week is kind of just wrapping up things that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And uh, we've been looking at the, the book, Second Timothy, or the letter, I should say, a letter that's written from Paul, who's in prison, who's writing to his, his uh, son in the faith, and someone he cares for and has followed to him, and, and is kind of encouraging him and giving him things to equip him for the task that he's facing. And the, the, what he's facing is the phase, the transition of going from having Paul to not having Paul. To having an apostle to to take care for the church, the new church is starting to being without Paul, which is the church is falling apart in Asia Minor or, or modern-day Turkey, where Tim is at, or Timothy, I should say. Um, and 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 he's got a great burden. This burden is to care for a church that's falling apart with all kinds of pressures, and he's roughly my age, facing this task. And so Paul is just writing to encourage him, to, to, to give him things to remember, and also tools to face the task that he's had. And that really is kind of like where we're at today in Trinity Chippenham. Our, our transition obviously isn't as big and as significant, but we're transitioning from being a, a church that's been focused on how to be church, how to be Trinity Chippenham, and transitioning to inviting people in and going out to the community, being a full fledged church. In some ways, we've been kind of like, you know, we have the starting blocks here. Uh, we've been kind of training to get ready to get in the starting blocks. And, you know, we're still kind of like right before we get in. Have you seen like track stars in the Olympics? You know, they're kind of loosening their legs and they get all ready to get down and get into the, the starting blocks. We're kind of right there. We're not even in the starting blocks yet, but we're anticipating the run, the race that we've been given. And in some ways, we've been really blessed uh, because how many people get to join a church where right at the beginning? Usually, my experience is we've been, we join a church that's been running a race for 10 years, multiple decades, maybe a century. And usually, when they're running the race and you join them, they, don't, they might have forgotten the race that they're running. Uh, they probably have the wrong equipment on. Maybe they're like, dressed to run like in Arizona and they're in Siberia. Uh, they thought they were supposed to be going northeast and they're running southwest. And you kind of join them and you kind of want to direct, hey, you know, help out. And the reality is we, we have a clean race set before us. And there's going to be lots of distractions, but we are getting ready to run the race. And when I was thinking about this, um, uh, the blessing of it, I, I also was tormented by that thought all week and being distracted by the last time I really ran a race, which was called the Shamrock Run in Portland. And it was about nine years ago. It really killed the enjoyment of running for me. Uh, because uh, for, for about four months, I trained with a group of friends. We ran Monday, Wednesday, Friday for about an hour, hour and a half. And I was running six miles um, every, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and sometimes more. Um, and it was, I was in great shape. It was probably the best shape I had been running-wise ever. 
And, and then I got distracted. We all got distracted. We had finals and papers and Christmas break. We took about six weeks off and then started running in January again. But then some things happened for everybody else and it stopped being less frequent. And then I learned that five or four or was it five out of the six or seven people decided they weren't going to run the race. So we, we did all this training, and then nobody's going to run it. And I said, oh, I'm going to do it anyways. And I started to run just a couple times before. And it was a 15K. And it wasn't just a 15K. It was 15K was six miles. It was pretty much straight up a hill. And uh, I had the wrong shoes on, and I was starting to really hurt. I, mean, I, got, to, I, I got to the mountain that was, I was supposed to run up, and I was exhausted. And then I saw the six miles that I was going to run, and it never stopped. And when I finally got to the top and I started running towards the bottom, I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to, I just want to get there. You know, I was hobbling down and, and I, I could see the finish line di- long in the distance. And I remember hearing these ladies chatting from behind me. There's a voice that was familiar. And I, I looked back and there was, it was Mrs. Sarazen. And she was about 30 years older than me. I'm 24. I'm in my prime. She's 30. She's in her mid-50s. And she's just chatting away with her friend. Da, da, da. And I'm looking at like, And they're about ready to just fly right by me. And I, I said, Mrs. Sarah. And she said, oh, hey, Dave. How, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to finish. Oh, well, yeah, good luck with that. I'll see you at the finish. And just ran right by. And I, how is this possible? And I think... In so many ways, the race that all of us have as a church, or as individuals and a church, now we're converging together. And I think we've been saved and called for this very purpose, if we call Trinity Chippenham our home. Is that we could we could be like me, totally unready, totally ready, not ready to go, and just kind of run the race and just try to make it. And it's going to be ugly. Or we could be like Mrs. Sarazen, and who's been who was running, you know, every day for you know probably two decades, and had done multiple things, ran the Boston Marathon, all those kinds of things, and just flew right by because it was absolutely nothing. This was a morning workout for her, and this was the pinnacle thing for me. And so. Um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. In some ways, this is how to run the race that we've been, we've been given. Because everybody has their own individual race. And really, the series that we've been talking about, Starting Well, we've been covering these things. And some of the things that are going to be wrapping up, or uh, I guess uh, kind of summarizing today, are the places we've been. In Christ, we've been saved before the creation of the universe. But we've also been called to a specific task. And in that, we can look back to the generations of people who believed and worshipped with us. And, and part of living and guarding the, in Christness, the goodness we have in Christ together, is actually to give it away, life on life, heart to heart. And as we endure and remember who Christ is, we can be the, you know, the good relay worker, the reliable relay worker passing the baton from one to the next. I did it right. And one to the next. And... Uh, and then we can also remember that as we're doing that, we'll be good and, and honorable in this use by keep, keeping our faces in the scriptures. Uh, and, and just thinking that we, when a soldier is a soldier, he does soldierly things. He doesn't try to be a farmer. And when he's a farmer, he does farmer things. He doesn't try to be a soldier unless he's going to pull up a you know, pickaxe and take on the redcoats and win. But Well, that's another story. Uh, but you know, either a farmer's a farmer, a soldier's a soldier, and we're going to be the people we're going to be in Christ. And it's going to be different for everybody in this room, but it's, as a community, we're, our paths are coming together and we have a race to run. And the question for this week is, or even going back just even from last week, 
uh, we want to care for people who are on the fringes. There's going to be people in our community in the future, and even maybe even now, that are going to be facing difficult times. Maybe they have sin issues. Maybe have um, you know assurance issues. All kinds of things, and they could easily go away and be astray and be picked off by the enemy. Or we can be a community that brings people in and encourages them to be real and honest and say, here's what it looks like. Here's what teach. Here's who Christ is, and here is what it means to be in Christ and and have a strong community and not be picked off. But um, this week, what we're going to be looking at is just, I think, kind of two tools to have while we're running in the race. What do we want to have in our hands while we're running the race that's been set before us? And one is uh, godly people who've gone before us, uh, people who have taught us and showed us to, to what it's like to run a race and to finish the race well. And also to have the other hand is the scriptures. The, the way that we can face the distractions and persecutions and all the things that we're going to face, even thinking about all the distractions today of being in a different place, things that we can do to run our race well and to keep on the track of being a, a community that's transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity is to have in our hand the mentors that have gone before us and to have the scriptures that they've taught us and to, to hold on to those tightly as we run. And and for me, I've, I've been blessed. I, I was, like I told you three or four weeks ago, I had mentors who met with me once a week, Greg, for two years. And we just talked about life. We talked about scriptures. We talked about big questions that I had about the text, big questions that, about, that I had about life. And sometimes you give me the answer. Sometimes you tell me places to go to find the answers for myself. And, and I, that's when I was won by Life on Life, Heart to Heart Ministry. I'm going to just turn this off because this is just me distracting. Um, I'll turn off. There you go. Uh, and well, so what else is it? It's a life on life ministry and those kinds of things. But then I also had Ron Frost who, who showed me, hey, not only is the scriptures just a good place for information, but really it's a, it's a lens to the Christ that we love and enjoy. It's him sharing his heart for our heart, to our hearts, so that we might be one. And, and so I've had, I've had formal mentors, but I also had, had people who just lived their lives around me. Uh, the, one of the most marking stories I ever saw in front of a church was a lady who, I think I was, I had been a Christian maybe a year and a half, two years at the time, and she was uh, in late stages of terminal cancer, and she got up in front of the whole body and talked about how, even though she's wasting away physically and had pain, she felt like she was growing spiritually every day, that she was growing closer and enjoyed Christ every day. And I just thought, I want to be like that woman. I want to run and finish my race set before me in a way that it doesn't matter about the physical things that are going on in my life or the, the pain that I'm facing, that I would be sold out for Christ and I could say I'm growing every day. And I can say I'm enjoying him regardless of the circumstances. And so for us, I think as a church and, and for you as individuals, I hope that you can, one, think about how uh, you can have in one hand the hands of people who have gone before you. And then also the scriptures, because we the scriptures are a place, not only do they reveal who God is, but they also re- reveal things that are practical and useful and reliable for every aspect of life. Okay, So to, to get into this, and I think this is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. That's where we're going to be today. Um, and just before that, he talked about you know evil people and the list of people being lovers of self and lovers of money and not loving good and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and even having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. And then you had two people who are opposing the truth and you had false teachers. And, and Paul is going to go right back to Timothy and say, you, Timothy, however, are not like those people. 
You, Timothy, are not like those people. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution, sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Let's just stop there because that's a lot, isn't it? Um, So he's saying, you, Timothy, are different than the people that I just got done talking about. You have a sincere faith. And we think about um, what he said previously, that the the spirit dwells in you, that you have sincere faith that dwells in you. You have power and love. You are not like these other people that have uh, disqualified when it comes to faith. You have followed. You understand. You have adopted what I've taught. My teaching of the gospel, and this I think what he's saying here is my teaching. What is the gospel? The gospel for him is that the Father has revealed himself in Christ, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners and his enemies. And that by that he had purchased the possibility of God pouring his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And in this now reality of being people who are renewed in the spirit but still dead in the flesh... And living in a corrupted world, we're going to have battles where there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be things that we're going to struggle with. And that's, I mean, and, but the reality is, is there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is the gospel that I've been teaching. This is the gospel that Paul's been persecuted from. And this is really just Romans 5 through 8, really. That's what I'm just kind of paraphrasing is this is the gospel that, that, that Paul has been teaching. This is the gospel that Timothy's been following. And he says, you know my conduct. You know how I've done this. You know how I've sustained and gone through the things that I've gone through and, and my, my, really my goal, my aim in life. My aim in life is this, that, that people would, well, Jews and Gentiles would come and see Christ. That they would join the, recon, the ministry of reconciliation. That they would become the body of Christ and that we would have freedom and love in Christ. And that, that we would do everything to please him. And this has been my aim in my life. And this is going about thinking about other places that Paul talks about. I'm staying here for your benefit. I really, Christ is best and I want to be with Christ. But for you, it's better that I stay here. Um, But not at this moment because, again, Paul is writing this uh, from prison. And this is, the, this is probably the last time that he's in prison because it's about 62, 63 A.D., just before Nero starts to persecute the church. And he, in tradition, says that he dies in 64 A.D. And so he's writing this facing death. And, and he really wants his son in the faith to feel comfort and, and really be, have the tools to face the fear and the circumstances and all the things that he's going to be facing and the difficult thing of trying to lead a church that's falling apart again, like I said. Um, and so this has been his teaching, his conduct, and his aim in life. But then he says, you know my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. Uh, what's interesting is many times Paul will talk about my faith or faith, love, and hope, or faith, love, and steadfastness. And I think this might have just startled Timothy in a little bit because he's, oh, yeah, my faith. And now he's anticipating my love and my steadfastness. He's just anticipating, I think, when he reads this. And instead he sees my patience because he knows his faith. He knows the trusting that Paul has had in the Lord. And he's and what Paul is saying is you followed me in this. You have sincere, true faith. You followed me in this. You know my love and my my love for Christ and love for my people and the things that I faced because of that. And even the things that I've endured and I've never given up. But the patience, the patience to go through these things, the patience to trust, the patience to wait. 
um, is something I think might have startled Timothy. And we kind of go, well, we have to have patience, thinking about transition and the, the places where you want to be. You know, I don't think ideally we'd like to be in yet in Kennel when we're Trinity chipping them. Um, and all the things, but we have to be patient and saying, this is what God is doing. We're, we have to be patient to think about, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be a community that's ready um, to have people come in and join us? Do we really know who we are? Do we have an identity? Do we, can we say we own what it is to be people who are being transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity and what that means for us? And, and to be people who have come from all different places, all different churches, and be a community so that we can actually understand and know where we're going. And so then when we, we invite people in and they can come and say, oh, these people actually know who they are and we can join in. Or we can take what we know and who we are out and be influencers rather than being influenced. So it's, it's do we really know who we are? And I think, again, he's just saying, hey, Paul, Timothy, you know who you are and I know that you have followed me. So have, have uh, confidence in that and the things that you're going to face, the fear. Because I think Timothy... Is a guy who is is a, a deep thinker. Uh, the things you can say about him, and, and I think he's a guy's probably mostly introverted. Uh, but and so he's when difficult times are going to come. I think he's probably going to kind of be quiet and and kind of remove himself from people. And Paul's saying you can't do that. Be who you are. Trust in Christ and rely on Him. But also, what I want you to know is anticipate something because if you're like your teacher and you teach what your teachers have taught, expect to have the same outcomes. And the outcomes that Paul has had is persecutions and sufferings. He says, persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. And Timothy is from Lystra. He's familiar with what Paul went through. And in these places, Paul was abused verbally. He had people poisoned against him. He was dragged out of town. He had conspiracies about people trying to stone him and kill him. He was actually stoned in Lystra. And when, when you're stoned, it's not that people just throw pebbles at you and you go, ooh, ooh, ow, ooh, like this kind of thing. It's you're thrown in a pit and people throw gigantic rocks on top of you and they pile up and they make sure you're dead. And this is what happened to Paul, and he survived. And it's not like the ancients, oh, they didn't know when someone's dead. Trust me, they knew when someone's dead, and they could test to make sure they were dead. And it wasn't usually pleasant. Um, but so, yeah, so he survived that. But just thinking about the other things that Paul had faced, not only persecutions and people um, saying bad things and poisoning other people's minds against him. You know, you go through the list in 2 Corinthians. He had five times he received the 40 lashings minus one. Three times he's beaten with rods. He's, he's been shipwrecked three times. He's spent a night and a day in floating in the sea. And he talks about dangers from rivers, dangers from thunder, uh, uh, hunger and thirst, all kinds of dangers. Dangers from people, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. And, and most of all, the anxiety, the suffering of the anxiety for the church that he had. And so Paul has faced great sufferings. And it, he's saying to, to, to Timothy, don't be surprised when this happens to you. Don't be surprised about when people start to say bad things about you. Don't be surprised that people start to poison you against um, uh, yourself. Don't be surprised if there's going to be persecution and suffering. I've suffered. Think about Jesus suffered. But here's the comfort. The Lord rescued me from these things. And you think, well, how can you say, Paul, the Lord rescued you from these things? You're about ready to face death. And I think it's that the Lord rescued him in the sense that the Lord was with him and brought him through these things. Uh, that he was with him, he equipped him, he encouraged him, he, he was his comfort in the times of difficulty. 
and brought him through them. It doesn't necessarily mean he removed him from them. And I think, any yes, of course he was rescued from the stoning, for instance. That's a miraculous thing. But then, he, then I think it's even, it's not just, okay, preachers and teachers and apostles that are going to face persecution. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, in verse 12, will be persecuted. And it's not just like the super Christians. He's saying anyone who's truly a Christian, anyone who actually seeks to live a life with God will face difficulty and persecution. You will face people saying weird things about you, people poisoning against you, maybe some of those kinds of things. Just think about being a person who wants to, to love others where they're at and be a person who's, who's got their fingers in the text and following and loving after a God who's Trinity. The odds are not only going to hear things from the church that might be against us, but you're also gonna, the world's kind of going to go, you're crazy. How can you possibly believe that marriage is a significant thing between man and a woman? And that you're supposed to live for that. that, that people might push back against that uh, in the world. And so he's saying that, um, so if you're a person who wants to live a godly life in Christ, live for Christ and in Christ, you should expect difficult times. And be prepared for difficult times. Be prepared for distractions. Be prepared for ungodly teaching. Be prepared for people who are going to say other things. Be, even be prepared for the flesh to attack in some ways. Thinking about being people who are alive in spirit but still living in the, the flesh of Adam. And he says, but even while people are seeking and living godly lives in Christ, he says... At the same time, there are going to be evil people and imposters who will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we saw that last week. Peter talked about evil people. Evil people being in verse, chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 that I read earlier. That there's going to be evil people There's going to be coming in. Even we struggle with some of these things. But there's going to be people who would love being there and don't necessarily want to get out. And the other is, there's going to be imposters. There's going to be people who are going to come and oppose the truth. And this is going to, and they're, they're not only are there going to be people who oppose the truth and enjoy deceiving others, we're going to see that there's going to be people who like to be deceived. That even next week, and that there's going to be people who like to have their ears tickled. They like to hear the things that may, may not necessarily be true. And so don't be surprised when these, these things come and happen while you're running the race. Timothy had a race of lifting and caring for a church that was falling apart and then leading them into the next phase. Don't be surprised that there's going to be things that are being distracting, even if they're small little things like meeting in Yetney Kennel and having a battery that doesn't work. You know, we're going to have distractions. The question is, is well, how are we going to face those distractions? Uh, and, he, and this is exactly what Peter or, or Paul is, uh, says to Timothy. He says in verse 14, but he, and he goes, but again, you... Abide or continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, so not only have you followed me and understand, stood me and followed me, but also continue and follow and continue to follow what you've been doing, but also abide, remain, continue in those things, things that you not only learned, and believed, but you've learned them from whom you've learned them from, which is the, the whom is going back to remember his grandmother and mother. His grandmother and mother were Jews. His dad was a Gentile. And they taught him the sacred writings. They taught him the Old Testament. 
And the Old Testament was made him wise for salvation, which means he, it instructed him and made him aware of what salvation is. And this is what salvation is. is it's faith in Christ. You knew from the sacred writings and the Old Testament points to the Messiah. The, and the, the word, or even this, that you, the promise of God actually providing the Messiah. You, you believed in God's promise. And people all throughout the Old Testament believed in God's promise. Just think about Abraham. If you've been in a life group with us, Trinity Chippenham, what is Abraham like? He's believed in God's word. He believed God that, that he would make, give him a, a son. And he believed him, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, did he arrive? No. No, we, we've noticed that from chapter 15 to chapter 20 in Genesis, it was, it's kind of a roller coaster, right? It's kind of a, but he's, he's going up, even though like the second to last dip was really down and he gave his wife away a second time. But, you know, at the peak of coming and saying, you know, believing God's word so much that, okay, if God, if you want me to sacrifice my son, I know that either you will raise him from the dead or you'll stop me because he's the promised seed and I trust you even above my love for my son. And while this godly life in Christ is happening for us, we saw that, you know, people are going from bad to worse. People are going to get worse and worse. You know, 30 years ago, 80s was bad for some people who lived 30 years before 80s. But, you know, 30 years post 80s, it's not so bad. Thinking about 10 years ago, do we ever think that, like for me, I never thought in my wildest dreams, God thought that a state would say, you know, same-sex marriage, that's, that's, that's okay. And that's, it's legal. It's, it's something we're going to support. As a, as a country, I never thought, nobody ever thought that would happen. It's radical. Things are going to get bad to worse, and they're going to continue to be that way. Don't be surprised. And he's saying, so this is the case, that the sacred writings point to this, point to the reality that um, they, they point to the most important thing. They reveal who God is. And so abide in those things, Timothy. Abide. And so, so what, do you hold, what do you hold in one hand while you're running the race? You, you hold the hands of mentors that have gone before you who've run their race, like Paul had run his race, like Eunice and um, Lois uh, uh, ran their race, and, and hold on to them, but abide and hold, uh, hold on to it and keep, grip, keep a tight grip on what they've taught and what they've taught you, and which happens to be Scripture. All the sacred writings do the first thing is they point to who God is. They point to what salvation is, which is just that faith there could just be trusting. It's another way of actually translating that. It would be just trusting in Christ. Trusting in the Messiah for the Jewish kid, Timothy. Trusting in him. And then he elaborates in verses 16 and 17, this idea of what the sacred writings are. He says, all scripture is God breathed out by God. Excuse me, I just did an NIV translation, which I'm used to. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correcting and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, sacred writings was just a shorthand for talking about Old Testament for Greek Jews. But it's also, all scripture, I think, Paul, or Paul is, attend, I think he's kind of expanding this idea of what scripture is. So, it's not just the Old Testament. Um, so, the Old Testament points to the, the promise, the salvation, and, and, and the Messiah. Now, he's saying, all scripture is God-breathed. Yes, the Old Testament, but I think this is late in Paul's life, 62, 63 AD. Most, if not all, well, let's say a lot of the Gospels are already written at this point. Mark and Matthew, for sure. And they're going, and excuse me, yeah, and Luke is written by this time. And those are going throughout the church, and I think they're being counted as Scripture. I think some of the letters that Paul has written 
like uh, Galatians and stuff like that, early early writings are going and being passed around through church to church, and they're I think they're being used as scripture. And so when he says all scripture, I think he's saying all, all we can say all the New Testament, but I think especially the the well yeah all the New Testament. Um, even Peter in Second Peter talks about how the things that Paul wrote are considered scripture, even though some people twist them and they're hard to understand, but they're scripture, they're writings. And then the, what a beautiful thing is that, so they're God-breathed. And one of the main points in um, our handbook, and the, what is it, the, the theology statement, is really based on this text, that we believe that God is an effective communicator. So he spoke and creation took place. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was life and the complexity of life. And all he did was speak. And if he's that effective in communicating and creating a universe, he's also effective in creating and communicating to us. And therefore all scripture is God breathed. There's power. His spirit is in it. And therefore it's, it's, it's reliable for all aspects of life. It's... Um, and you, you'll hear words like it's effective, reliable, inspired, infallible. There's no air in it. It's inerrant. Uh, it means it's authoritative for everything in life. And so the primary purpose of Scripture is to point and reveal who God is, especially in Christ. And the other is that it's going to ha- it has the power to change lives, has the power to change our life, has the power to be the basis of our community and church. And so he says it's useful for teaching or profitable for teaching. It's profitable for communicating and telling people who God is and how that should change our lives. The other point is it's good for reproving. So thinking about an aspect of life where we have, we're sinners. And this is a place where the, the word will reveal what our sin is. Just thinking about this, like in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, for instance, God sent out Israel into the wilderness because of their stone hearts, their stiff-neckedness. And he said, I did this to test you so that you could know what you're like, that you can know that you're stiff-necked, you can know that you're stone-hearted, because really you have not fully understood all the miracles that have taken place to get you into the wilderness. And so you need the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness so you can really discover who you are. And the scriptures reveal to us who we really are uh, in our flesh and in our sin. But the beautiful thing is that in the scriptures, they correct us. And it, another way of saying this is that they restore us. That the scriptures have the power to restore us to, it, to who we are in Christ. They have the power to, to show us what is right and to get us on the right path. The path of being Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, for instance. He's, he, we can get back on the path of this. It's also good for training in righteousness. So someone who's been restored can now start living in what it means to be in Christ. What does it mean to, what does it look like to be a godly person living for Christ? And the scriptures have the power to transform us and change us and show us what it's like. I mean, just look at the example of Paul, for instance. And then... It says that the, the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And the man of God, it can mean lots of things. It's kind of a saying of saying someone who's, who teaches and preaches. But it also, I think it could just be any person, the person of God, because it could also be that. And so anybody who's been saved in Christ has been also given a, a good work, haven't we? We've been saved and called to something. And that means that the scriptures has, gets us ready 
to run the race, do the good work, and be able to actually do, fulfill it. And it's not that God, so God calls us before the creation of the world and gives us a specific task, and then he gives us his scripture that's God-breathed, and then he comes along with us and helps us to do that task. And it, what's, what's amazing is, like, for me, when I was running that race, I wasn't really competent and equipped to run the race. I really wasn't. I finished. It was a disaster. I never wanted to run again. It was not a good experience, okay? Uh, but this is totally different. If we, we trust God and, and put our faces and keep our hands in the scriptures, the scriptures are going to change us by the Spirit. And they're going to be the basis for us doing community together and living together. And so, so what do we what do we need to, to run the race or live live godly lives in Christ? We need to have mentors who have gone before us and hold on to their hands and abide in what they've taught. And we need to have in our other hand the scriptures and and be people of the Bible. And you might think, okay, that's nice, Dave, but I've never really had mentors. I never really had anybody go before me. Uh, and I've really never mentored anyone. I've never really passed this on. Well, here's a couple of things that I would suggest. Maybe think about. Well, one is you have to go, what does it mean for me to be in Christ? Because everybody has a different race to run. What does it mean for me to be in Christ? And what, who has he made me? And two is to start. Well, one is you can just ask someone. You can ask. I mean, I asked Ron, for instance, to, to mentor me and do a read-through together and, and just um, and live life together. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage you get get in a Bible read through with somebody and and just have uh, the scriptures coach you two up and be mentored by the scriptures together in a community. Um, you can you can I would say another one is to actually read biographies of Christians in the past. Uh, you know, I just say read, but they're actually some of the most fascinating stories about people who have taken risks for Christ, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, you read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography, it's amazing. Not only is he an amazing guy, but just the fact that he faced tyranny in the eye for, for the gospel. He, he confronted Nazi Germany in order to live for the gospel. That's an amazing story. Um, Jonathan Edwards is another guy who, who is soft-spoken and, and really kind of an introvert. But he was just a lovely, lovely, warm husband and father. And he gave of himself in his ministry, even to the point of he got inoculated for uh, tuberculosis. And uh, it was probably the only thing that was really effective in 19, 18th century uh, medicine, except he died from it. And that year he lost, just before that he lost a daughter, and after that, they, uh, after he passed away, his wife lost a daughter, and then, and then she died. Four years, four people from the Edwards family died. But these are people who were, were totally consumed with the idea of loving Christ with everything they had. Um, another guy I thought of, Jonathan, John, John Owen. I mean, theologically, I'm not a big fan, but he was a guy that faced incredible things. He had 11 children. All of them died in childhood. But that was the race that he was given. And even his wife died at the same time in this. Just terrible things. But seeing, going and looking back and seeing how did that person run that race and run that significant... How did they rely on Christ in the scriptures? There's people who have gone before us. And say, get, you know, go look, ask. Another thing is just be, be, the, be the old lady that I saw. I don't even can't remember her name. Who got in front of the church and talked about her life in Christ and the, the things that she was facing. You just live for Christ. Be a person who's a reliable relay worker and has an inky nose, as Mike said a couple of weeks ago. Just living in scriptures and living for Jesus and being bound and controlled by a love for Christ. And that will be a part of a community that others, people who are passing the, the, the gospel from one generation to the next. 
And then, um, what does this look like for us as a community? I think if we have people in Trinity Chippenham who are pursuing one mentors and holding on to people who have run their their races well and and abiding in the word, we're we're going to be going somewhere, and we have we have a great chance to be the people who um, value. Well, God, value people, value relationships, and running that idea of let's try to be a church that really is trying to transform, be transformed by God, and, and also see a community around us be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And, and then also just getting in the text and seeing the text as a lens into the heart of God. Because oftentimes, one of the things that Greg, my mentor, told me, because I kept on saying, well, I read the scriptures and I can never remember anything. I, I don't, this is a big, thick book that's got lots of weird names and histories and all these kinds of things. And I just can't remember any of it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it's, you know, I, I don't, what's the point? And I remember him saying, Dave, uh, reading the Bible is kind of like this. He's like, okay, so think of and imagine a barrel over here that's empty. And, and it's going to hold water. Water is the knowledge of God and the Bible. Let's just say that's what, you know, we're going to quantify it. Let's say that it's an empty barrel and you have nothing. And the river over there, about 50 yards, is um, the, the word of God. And it's, it's information, it's a relationship with God and all those kinds of things. And what you're tasked to do is, is to take a muddy, old, disgusting, baskety thing and go over to the river and get the water back into the barrel. That's your task. That's what you reading the Bible is. And so you can imagine taking a, wick, a muddy wicker basket and walking over to, running over to the river and, you know, you know, lifting it up and kind of realizing that the water is just falling through the basket and having to run over to the barrel and do this and dump. And you imagine how, how much you'd have to do to, just to get anything in the barrel? And, and he goes, after you do that a few times and, and run and run and run and pursue this and, and kind of just... Keep on trying to, you know, accumulate information. What's going to be transformed is the basket. The basket's going to be pristine and white. You would never even know because all the mud is gone. And so this is the power of the, the gospel. This is the power of exposing your heart to God's heart on a daily basis. Of just being transformed by him. And yeah, you're going to gain information and all those knowledge and all those kinds of things, Dave. But it's really not that important. It's not the point. The point is to be the person you've been created to be in Christ. And I really hope that we can be people who are um, living godly lives for Christ by holding on to the hands of our mentors and having scriptures in our other hand and just saying, okay, God, let's go and see what happens when we run the race. Okay? So let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you that you, yeah, you have an incredible plan. You have an incredible plan for us as individuals. You have an incredible plan for us as a community. And we look forward to it, Lord. And as we start thinking about getting in the starting blocks and waiting for the gun to to run the race, Lord, may we be people who aren't distracted by all the things around us, but rely on, on this. When there's fear and doubt of what we face, that we can trust that we have sincere faith because you have loved us and cared for us. And, and Lord, may we just be people who respond to you. Thank you for the gift of people who have gone before us and lived for you. And Lord, may we uh, live for you in the, the race that you've given each of us and not try to run other people's races, but then also run the race of the church of, uh, of Trinity Chippenham, that we be a community that desires to be transformed by the love of God 
and that as we're transformed by the Trinity, we can see people come to Christ and, and see even a community transformed. And we really desire that to happen. And, and Lord, may we trust in the power of, of the God-breathed scriptures to uh, change us, to restore us, to train us, and to make us competent, to give us the, the, uh, to fulfill the tasks that you've given us. Um, we really look, really look forward to it. Lord, may we just really respond to you in the next time of worship and, um, and, and, and just, I guess, proclaim to you. May we bless you with, uh, with song and worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.